0: Ninth Story Studios Giving Story a voice This is Mary Murphy And ready or not It's time to get wicked
1: Warning The Wicked Library is a horror fiction podcast created for a mature audience. Our stories contain graphic descriptions of pain, murder, violence, blood, betrayal, and inhumanity. Monsters win, people die, and hope is often shattered. There is also beauty, heart, catharsis, and raw emotion. Fear may be deeply personal, but we all share it. If at any time a story takes you to a place too dark, turn on the lights, press pause, or press stop. And always remember that unlike in the real world, these nightmares and your participation in them are under your control. Hello, and welcome to Season 11 of the Wicked Library. I'm Daniel Foytek, and this is episode number 1116. Today we'll be presenting a story written for us by the very talented Sarah Reed, entitled The Terror Bay Resort Experience. Before we dive in, a sincere thank you to those of you supporting the show on Patreon. You truly make the show possible. It's because of your support that I can continue to pay the very talented authors, voice actors, and composer. Simply, it's your support that allows us to make sure those who contribute to the show don't work for free. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. For as little as $3 a month, you can help make the show you love possible and get fun rewards. A lot of hard work and money goes into making the Wicked Library, and I really do rely on this support to help me pay the contributors. In addition to knowing that you're a part of making this show possible, you also get fun rewards like ad-free episodes at higher bit rates, access to bonus stories, and at higher levels of support even more. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash wickedlibrary. Today's Dark Tale is told by Mary Murphy, accompanied by a custom score by Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. Now, let's head to the Great White North and join the guests of the Terror Bay Resort Experience.
0: I chewed the end of the old burr pipe, sipping on smoke as I watched the boat pull into Terra Bay. Arctic palms swayed outside the library window, the breeze kicking up a surf that licked the beach and sent the antique ferry shuddering along the dock bumpers. The tourist on deck clung to the railings, swaying like the palms. I tapped the warm window glass with a fingertip, and the view switched back to a windswept blizzard plain with boulders of ice under chill blue light. I wiped the pipe's mouthpiece on the knee of my gown and slid down from the windowsill, then placed the pipe back on its brass display. Sir John Franklin's pipe was etched into the plate, though its provenance was suspect. It was one of Coram's close-enough artifacts. I tiptoed out of the room, replacing the velvet-corded stanchions behind me. I smell his tobacco, one of the tourists would probably say later. Or, <gasps> Look! Footprints in the carpet! I couldn't help but smile. Coram, my boss, was on to me, but the rumors of Ghost didn't hurt business. It helped, so he'd never given me more than a scowl over it. I straightened my shawl and smoothed the hair slipping out of my elaborate coif, which was as much a wig as it was my own. The lace at my cuff was discolored where I'd accidentally dipped it in ketchup at lunch. No one would notice. They wouldn't be looking at me. Their eyes would dart a hundred places, soaking in the artifacts pulled from the seafloor, The 700-year-old remnants of the Franklin Expedition... Erebus and Terror and their crews, all lost in the ice, back when there was ice, back when the Arctic was cold. I was already too hot under the layers of dress, and sweat dampened my collar as I hurried through the maze of resort corridors toward the King William's Visitor Center, where the Saturday boatload of tourists would soon arrive for their introduction, wind-tossed and rattled from their ride on the antique boat. It wasn't a boat from Franklin's time, not even from the same century, but Corum brushed off my suggestion that he learned to sail a tall ship. It served the purpose, at least, of indicating to the guests that they had left the 26th century, that they'd been brought back to a time when the world looked very different. I'd lead a tour through the dozen halls of displays, then serve lunch. Then Coram would take them on their neotropical Arctic excursion to visit the cairns of the lost crews and to frolic in the surf, before returning for dinner and their night at the Terror Bay Resort. Then, on Sunday, another tour, afternoon tea, and the ride back to the mainland. Every weekend a new cohort arrived, and every weekend we replayed the same scenario, as if we were frozen in time, like a boat frozen in the sea. Sweat trickled under my corset as I ran, I'd stayed too long in the library. I always did. I'd even read all the books, or what I could of them, their language antiquated and almost indecipherable. They'd given me ideas for my performance, both as Lady Franklin and as the maid, Lucy, whom I'd need to transform into before lunch. I preferred playing the lady to the maid, but at least the maid's costume was simpler and cooler. At least I didn't have to play a sailor, "'wrapped in furs as if lost on the ice, "'baking under the twenty-hour sun. "'Every guide we'd ever hired to play a sailor "'had quit in their first summer. "'Corum had long since replaced them all with biometronics. "'Corum and I were the only tour guides left, "'costumed, scripted. "'I was sure that as soon as he could find biometronics "'who could change bedding and cook meals, "'that the rest of the staff would be gone too. "'And he only kept me on because, as he said,' Having a young lady around kept the place from getting creepy. So I assumed my position was limited to my fleeting youth. Eventually, he'd be alone with his bots. I stared at the pictures on the walls to cool myself. Blue ice crusted over buildings and ships. Frozen waves like razor mountains. Men in wool clotted with snow. Their mustaches like icicles over peeling lips. I shivered. Nunavut hadn't seen snow in over a century, and that had been an anomaly. The locals still talked about it, relaying their grandparents' memories. It didn't look like it had been an easy place to live. Still, the people in the pictures were smiling, and some of them, dark eyes peering out from deep fur hoods, looked as if they had ice for bones. Moving from the long, Narrow corridors to the open circular room of the visitor center always made me dizzy. It was like stepping through a portal from the past to the present. The frameless glass cupola above let in the bright summer sunlight that glittered off the gift shop wares, welcoming visitors to the resort. It was the only window that wasn't programmed to show the Arctic as an ancient ice world. The only dark spot in the room was at the very center— Behind the round service desk, where there stood a mound of carefully stacked stones. Rumor had it that the hotel had been built over a burial site, and that this cairn covered the bones of dead sailors, human bones that bore butcher marks. We didn't talk much about that part of the lost Franklin expedition, and how desperate men get when everything is ice and the food runs out, not in front of the tourists. I assume the Cairn was a replica. Most of the land where there had been burials was now below water. Graves flooded when the seas rose. The beaches that the tourists spread their towels on, sipping fruity drinks, were not the beaches where Franklin's men had scrounged for sustenance and failed. Most of them never even made it that far inland. Still, the cold stone always felt heavy at my back, as I took my place at the service desk. Today I welcomed its cool presence. I pressed a handkerchief to my nose to dry the sweat beating there, and tapped the combell bell that would signify to all the staff throughout the center that a cohort was incoming, and I reset the carefully timed performances of the elaborate biometronics. Places, everyone. The bright voices of visitors always carried far ahead of them, Signaling their imminent approach. This weekend's reservation was for a women's retirement group. I recognized the name. The Past Perfects. They were former teachers. Touring historical sites across the globe. Moving from century to century like time travelers. They came every year. Most of them were pleasant enough. I ran my fingers over the map set into the desktop waking up the lights and holograms in the attractions, starting the sound displays and bringing the past to life in the exhibits. I always felt, in that moment, as if some sort of magic happened, as if I were sailing our entire island into the past, or pulling history into the present. I could feel the whole building hum with it. I took a deep breath, smoothed my skirt and hair, and took on the persona of Lady Jane Franklin, grieving but determined, her husband lost to sea and ice and time, but not to memory. I brushed ash from my white apron, watching it fall to the dark grass like snowflakes. I'd stepped out for a break after the lunch rush to have a smoke and watch the sea. It was hard to imagine the lush island coated in sheets of ice and frozen rock. I wondered what cold truly felt like. I'd been chilled before, but had never experienced cold that could kill you, cold that could stop ships and drive men mad. The ash had left a dark streak on my linen. Both my costumes were in need of cleaning but I'd have to convince Coram to give me a lift on the ferry to the mainland to take them to the specialty cleaner. I hated asking him for favors. The cost was always an extra chore or errand, like I didn't already devote my life to his employ. As if summoned by the scent of insubordination, Coram kicked away the stone I'd wedged in the back door and peered around the panel to my not-so-hidden hiding spot. Smoke break is over, Marta. I need you to... He paused and looked me up and down. You're a miss. I know. I need a trip to the mainland. Are you going Monday? He sighed dramatically. The setup... <sighs> well, I wasn't planning to, but I guess I am now. He pulled at his untrimmed beard. He always did that when he was thinking... I could practically see the blood flow to his brain as he thought of some way to make me pay for the inconvenience. I stubbed out my cigarette and dropped the butt in the can by the door. Coram's face twisted in disgust. Well, you're in tune. You can pick up our fish order. And there it is. The grossest errand. Picking up the pallets of frozen fish that once would have been native to these seas for next week's menu. They'd be half thawed and reeking by the time we got back to the island. If you're driving the boat, then technically you'll be in town too. Why don't you pick up the fish while I go to the cleaners, and we'll be done in half the time. I smiled my most annoying smile. He tugged on his beard again. What did you come out here for? I interrupted his sputtering cerebral engine before he could escalate his plan and make me suffer even more. Right. I need you to go clean the dust out of the fans on Crozier's bot. He's overheating and keeps short to note. Last group said they couldn't understand what he was saying. Karam always gave me cleaning tasks when I was dressed as Lucy, as if the maid's uniform somehow transformed my job description as well, as if he was fooled by the act like the tourists were. I spent six years on my degree in tourism, when all I really needed was one lesson on how to do everything your boss tells you. Never did master that skill. He shook his head at my messy dress again and disappeared back behind the door. I hauled a hand vacuum, a rag, and a bucket of water down the long corridor to the replica of the officer's cabins. Crozier's bot stood there bent over a table of charts lit by hologram candles. The silicone face molded with worry, knuckles white as they gripped the edge of the table. A porthole to his right showed a swirling blizzard. The landscape tilted as if the ship were frozen at an angle. I always felt myself leaning into that tilt unconsciously, my brain fooled by the illusion. The improper gravity made me unsteady. I hauled at the Crozier bot's waistcoat, pulling his shirt up to his shoulders so I could access a panel in his back that concealed his hardware. Where's the ship's surgeon when you need him, right? The surgeon's display was the hardest to view in the whole resort. I avoided that entire hall when I could help it. We don't even take children's groups past it. The medical procedures, now accomplished with micromuscular threading, were once done with a thick, rusty saw. The bot on the surgeon's rough plank table had a face twisted in agony. He screamed and writhed as the doctor sawed away at his mangled leg. I had turned the volume down on that display so it couldn't be heard from other hallways. Bots were harder to cure than humans now. I didn't really know what all the bits and wires did or went to. But dust was Dust and that I could handle. The latch of the panel was stiff, stuck. I pulled my pocket knife from my apron and pried at it till it sprung open with a crack. A shock of cold moisture hit my face. I wiped the sting from my eyes and stared at the motherboard, as green as a resort lawn, speckled with a white dusting of ash. No, not ash. Snow, snow. I reached out a finger and brushed at the white powder coating Crozier's components. It hurt. Cold that sent an ache through my joints like a bolt of arthritis. I watched the white powder melt to water against my skin. How the hell did you get like this, Francis? I lifted my rag to the panel and swept away more of the white powder. I jumped as Crozier's voice garbled and fraught with static, croaked as if in reply. We'll get you fixed up. When I'd brushed away all the snow, I used a tip of my knife to chisel at the ice that had stopped the fan, frozen it in place like a ship's rudder trapped in an ancient Arctic. How did all this moisture even get in here? Crozier barked out another unintelligible reply. His voice sounded like the groan of frozen metal. As soon as the fan was free, it began to spin again. I'm going to leave you open to let you dry out, and I'll talk to Coram about what's gone wrong with your guts. Crozier's biometronic arm lifted to clutch at his furrowed brow, his head moving, nodding in hopelessness. We are lost, his deep voice replied low with heartache. Coram stood at the service counter, ringing up a stack of T-shirts for a smiling older woman. The woman wore last year's tour shirt, and I searched my memory for her name. I tried to remember the regulars. I never could, and Corum berated me for it. I supposed my brain was too full of Franklin trivia to take on any more. There you go, Mrs. Heathrow. Enjoy. Coram handed the woman a bulging shopping bag. Some of the tourists spent more on souvenirs than I made in a whole month. I waited for the smiling woman to leave, then cleared my throat for Coram's attention. Got grocers sorted to do he asked. I tried. He wasn't full of dust. He was full of ice. I got as much of it as I could and left him open to dry, but you might want to take a look at it. Marta, that's ridiculous. He doesn't even take a coolant. I shrugged. Coram sighed and grabbed the rag and handbag for me. Mind the counter for me. I watched him disappear down the hallway, his dark waistcoat and wool trousers blending in with the wood panels. I checked the clock. Nearly dinner time. I was meant to be preparing the dining room, helping the kitchen staff prep for the rush of 32 orders all coming in at once. When Coram hadn't returned in 15 minutes, I set the clothes sign on the counter and made my way to the dining room. We might lose a postcard sale or two, but I wasn't going to send a boatload of guests to bed hungry. I grabbed a stack of saucers from the cabinet and carried them to the long trestle table Coram had built from scavenged wood. I set them down, and realized my hands were covered in grit. I looked from my palms to the stack of dishes. All were coated in sediment, sand and crushed shell, small stones all dried together in a fragile matrix that crumbled as I brushed at it. What the hell? I grabbed a tray from the cabinet. It, too, was filthy. I piled the dirty dishes on it anyway and carried it all to the kitchen, dumping the whole load in the sink. I scraped at the sand on the porcelain, but it was fused there, as if glued. They looked like the plates from the wreckage, artifacts salvaged from the century-sunken terror, now in a lit case down the hall. Anxiety gnawed at my gut. The china was made to look exactly like those used on board the ships. Someone must have taken this set to the beach for a picnic and not bothered to wash them. I scrubbed my hands and filled a cart with fresh china from the dishwasher and with all the accoutrements needed for dinner service. I could ask Coram about the dishes later. If a customer had borrowed them without permission... He may want to bill them for the hours of extra washing, especially since the kitchen staff always left after dinner. It would be me elbows deep in this mess all evening. I cursed under my breath. Sometimes the hospitality industry felt more like running a daycare. I forgot my troubles in a room full of happy visitors. Tourists always loved Lucy, and I thrived on their affection even if it was just for a character, and not for me. It was as good as I could get. No one enjoyed my company as much as tourist enjoyed Lucy. I'd been taught young that people only loved me when I was helping them. That's why I went into tourism. They finished their meal, and made their way through the visitor's center to the guest wing. Their rooms were all replica ships' cabins, some with bunks and some with hammocks, depending on how much they'd paid. I let my shoulders drop, my posture easing as much as my corset would allow. There were still dishes to do and closing duties, but if I was going to have to act like a maid, I at least didn't have to dress like one anymore. The show was over for the night. I stepped behind the counter and tapped at the control panel, putting the bots to sleep and dimming the lights in all the displays. Undoing the magic. I do it all again in the morning, and again after that, over and over history and replay. I was Lady Franklin again before the guest awoke. Morning in the morning, my black shawl held close over my broken heart. The group was only twenty nine people, several short. It's not unusual for a few guests to skip the early morning tour, especially if they overindulged the first day. But several women kept peering over their shoulders as we made our way through the halls. Their brows furrowed, and their attention barred from the glowing cases of artifacts we passed by. They forgot their absent friends as we rounded a corner, and screams echoed down the hall. The women gasped and clutched at their throats, I frowned, then I gathered my tour guide wits. That will be the surgeon's galley. Poor James has gone under the knife, after an accident on the ice. I must have accidentally turned the volume up as I set all the displays that morning. It had been so long since I'd heard those echoing screams that I hardly recognized them, but my assertion was confirmed when the recording looped and the screams started again in the exact same pattern. The women smiled nervously and dropped their hands from their necks, though their brows stayed furrowed. That's why I skipped that display. That's why I turn it down. There are some parts of history best left in the past. At lunch, the guest count had dropped to 27 and even Lucy's cheerful banter couldn't lighten the mood in the room. It didn't help that the kitchen was short, two staff, and every course ran late, orders akimbo and underprepared. No one seemed to know where the five women had gone. But attendance wasn't mandatory. Guests often opted for more beach time instead of more history lessons. But that explanation didn't satisfy the past perfects, and their worry was as catching as a plague. I'd never been so relieved to wrap a cohort, to dismiss them from the dining room and call an end to the act. They were quorums now, their bags all packed and loaded, ready for the boat ride to the mainland and back to their own time. I washed up, pulled off my frilled cap, and made my way to the library for a smoke and a rest before the long list of end of weekend duties began. The hall stirred and echoed, blizzard wind whistling past round windows. I'd forgotten to turn off the displays and effects. The library, at least, was minimally animated, with just a flickering hologram lantern and the blowing snow in the window. The tables there were strewn with maps, books cast about, open to pages of ancient Arctic fauna, essays on Inuit hunting techniques. I gasped, then felt my throat clamp down on the breath to stifle the scream that wanted out. These artifacts weren't meant to be touched, not by anyone, save for the archivist who visited once a year in the off-season, and me, sometimes someone had ransacked the place treating it as a browsing room instead of a private collection they tossed the artifacts around with a disrespect that made my face heat the velvet cords meant to keep people out lay in a tangle in the corner the brass post that suspended them dented bent i stooped to pick up a book from the floor My eyes prickled with frustration. I wondered if this was where the five missing women had been, and if they were the same inconsiderate people who had left their dirty dishes in the cabinet. Coram could review the cameras and find out. They wouldn't just be built for this, though. They'd be banned. Possibly even prosecuted, if anything was damaged. I decided to leave the mess as it was, As evidence, in case such measures needed to be taken, they'll be lucky if I don't catch up with them and take the damages out of their backsides. I pulled the broken stanchions from the corner, though, and spread them across the entrance as best I could. I rushed through the halls, wondering if I could catch Korm before he launched, before the culprit disappeared into the anonymity of the mainland harbour. Excuse me, miss? I stumbled to a stop and blinked at the older woman before me. It was one from the shop in last year's t-shirt. She should be at the docks. Yes? Can I help you, Mrs... Mrs. Heathrow? We need to get you to your boat before it leaves. That's why I've come to find you, dear. We were supposed to leave already... But our boatman hasn't come. Could you let him know we're waiting? He's not at the dock? Or in the visitor center? She smiled patiently at me, as if I were simple for suggesting the obvious. No, dear. We haven't seen him since yesterday's excursion. I tried to gather my roving thoughts. Life on the island was routine, predictable and today had thrown me off at every step. I realized I hadn't seen him either. I struggled to find my stride. I'm so sorry. Yes, I'll find him. You'd better get back in case he gets there first. The woman nodded and headed back toward the visitor center. I stood and thought. Might he be in the staff room napping? It wouldn't be like him. Could he be ill? Still in his room? I decided to check there first, and headed down the hall in the opposite direction from Mrs. Heathrow. The screaming from the surgeon's display came into hearing again as I made my way through the corridors. I realized I'd be forced to walk past it this time. All the sweat on my body felt suddenly cold. I had to cut my hands over my ears as I passed it, even my eyes narrowing involuntarily. As if I could shut out more of the noise that way, the sailor on the table shuddered and flailed as the ship's surgeon wrenched the saw deep in the meat of the sailor's leg. Other bots grasped at his limbs, trying to hold him still. Their faces were creased with terror. Blood pooled around the table's legs. That was a new effect. I didn't care for it. The last thing this display needed was to be more disturbing. I did a double glance at one of the bots by the injured sailor's doomed leg. It was Crozier. What was he doing outside of his own display? His face did not hold terror with the same expression of grief that he'd had bending over his maps and charts. This must have been where Corum had been spending his time, altering displays. Maybe he couldn't fix Crozier and had decided to place him here until bot repair could come out. Crozier raised his hand to his brow. We're lost, he said. Voice choked with hopelessness. Then he reached out and set his hand gently on the sailor's bloody leg. Coram was not in his room. I figured my best chance of finding him was to use the comms. I retraced my path down the long corridors and tried to rush past the surgeon's display, but it drew my gaze. It had changed again. Crozier was gone and so was the sailor's leg. Coram must have come up the hall behind me and slipped away before i turned back. He couldn't be far. I rushed down the hallway. The visitor center was empty when I arrived. I stepped behind the counter to send a broadcast through the building for Coram. The floor crunched under my feet. I looked down. More sand scattered across the tile all over the floor, and stones, large ones, gray and rough. I raised my eyes to the cairn and saw that it had been torn down on one side. Fury rose in my throat. Who would do something so disrespectful? The dishes were just replica dishes, and the books, while valuable antiquities were just books, but to desecrate a grave? I stared into the hollow at its center. I could see now that it was indeed real. Bones lay stacked at its center like grim firewood, and it smelled. I raised my apron to my nose and leaned closer to see what caused the noxious odor, The bones on top of the pile shined wet, red. The grooves cut in them left splintered, jagged edges from which spilled dark gobbets. I vomited into my apron, then pulled it from my neck and tossed it in the trash can beneath the desk. I leaned against the counter to catch my breath. My hand swept its surface, lighting up every hall and cycling every display till I found the comm button. Coram? I croaked into the speaker. You're needed at the service counter immediately. I stepped out from behind the counter, staggering toward the main door. I needed air. I wanted cold air. But instead I was met with the humid furnace of the Arctic summer heat. Palm trees whipped overhead in a hot wind. I held the door open and stood in the entryway, leaning my forehead against the cool inside of the glass. The crunch of footsteps and sand sounded from the room behind me. Coram? I lifted my head and turned. It was not Corum behind me, and it was not the crunch of footsteps with a crunch of teeth on bone Crozier stood by the counter his lively glass bod wreathed and frost his mech arms digging through the neck hole of Mrs. Heathrow's teal t-shirt and pulling free another rib with a snap that straightened my spine acid rose in my throat again I stepped slowly outside and let the door swing shut between me and Crozier. My eyes locked on the bot as it chewed, then placed the old woman's bones inside the cairn. Sandy's steps sounded behind me again, and I spun in panic. But it was more guests, concern writ deep across their faces. Isn't that man coming to take us to the harbor? Some of us have planes to catch, you know. I took three deep breaths to steady my voice. They couldn't see behind me, through the sunlit window, to where the creature bent low behind the counter. He's ill. I'm afraid he can't take you today. But I'm going to call a sonicopter from the mainland to come and get us all. I tried to smile, but knew I'd failed by the lowered brows on the faces before me. I needed to be Lucy now, not Marta, to keep them happy. Well, maybe we could wait inside then. We'll have some calls of our own to make, of course. They made to move past me. No! I pressed my back to the door. I fumbled for the keys that dangled at my waist and slipped the lock on the door. I'm afraid we're closed now. Come to the docks. We'll wait there together. Well, we're not leaving without Susan and Angelina. Who? Susan Miller and Angelina Heathrow. They came back here to find our boatman. Mrs. Heathrow? Are you okay, dear? You seem a little unwell yourself. I am. And we need to get off of this island now. But the driver... I'll drive. I'd never driven the boat. Coram had never let me, but I'd watched him do it hundreds of times. Coram... Were those his bones in the cairn? I took three shaky steps down the lane before I stopped. I still clutched my keys, sharp in my hands. Keys. Coram kept the boat key on his own key ring, clipped to his belt loop. That was presumably somewhere inside, wherever the crozier bot had left that piece of him. I turned to the small crowd of guests. Go back to the dockhouse. Lock the door and wait for me. I'm going to get the keys from... from Coram. I'll look for your friends. There's a phone there behind the desk. You can make your calls. The group murmured discontentedly as they made their way down the path. I turned back toward the resort. He cold in my hand despite the summer heat. I pressed my face to the glass. There was no sign of Crozier, nor the tattered remains of Mrs. Heathrow, save for the puddles of blood seeping into the scattered sand on the floor. He might be just below the counter. He might be right around the corner. He might have found Susan Miller. I did not want to go in, but there was only one way off the island, and only one key to the boat. I slipped my key as silently as possible into the lock and twisted. It cracked and popped and dusted my knuckles with snow. I shook away the stinging wetness. I pulled the door open, and a blast of cold air hit me, tightening my chest and trapping the breath in my throat. So cold. Cold that can kill you. Cold that can drive you mad. Nothing moved in response to the sound. I slipped inside. Coram had gone to repair Crozier after I'd given up. Whatever trail I had to follow would begin there. My breath fogged in front of me as I made my way through the dark halls. Their anachronistic lanterns and historical ambience didn't fare well in the cold. And the lights flickered in protest. Even the electric locks on the cabinets were failing, their glass doors falling open, holograms winking out, exposing the relics of the terror and filling the halls with the scent of the ancient wreckage. I stifled a sob in my throat and ran the rest of the way to the replica cabins. The plank walls were spattered with red. The maps, over which Crozier once stood in fear for the survival of his crew, Were soaked in quorum. The tangle of his remains stained the floorboards. I bent to the tatter of wool trousers feathered with red frost. Plucking at the crisp mess till I heard the jingle of keys and saw the red shine of them. I slipped the hook from the loop and pulled the ring of keys free. The wool fell back to the floor with a stiff whisper. I shivered. I'd never felt so cold. The metal of the keys stung the skin of my hands, which had grown so rigid that I'd struggled to bend my fingers. Even my neck felt stiff as the ice crept in. I'd freeze before I could find Susan Miller, or the five missing women, or the two missing kitchen staff. What is happening here? I needed a coat, or more layers. My room wasn't far, a few halls away, nearer the library. My own clothes were suited for the neotropical Arctic, but Mrs. Franklin's Victorian layers were made for a mission in the ice. I held the keys to my chest and made my way toward my room, peering carefully around corners, listening for Crozier's quiet shuffle. Every sound seemed magnified. The groaning malfunction of all the displays like the seizing of an ice-bound ship. My head whipped over my shoulder constantly, eyeing the intersections in the maze of halls. I arrived at my door, but the lock was choked with ice. I couldn't even get the key inside. Panicked whine rose in my throat, and I thought I heard movement in a nearby hall. My hand shook as I stuffed stiff knuckles into my pocket, grasping for my lighter. I fumbled a flame to life, and held it to the ice, holding the fingers of my other hand close for warmth. The sound nearby intensified. A stumble, perhaps, or something brushing a wall. Tears welled in my eyes, and froze there as the flame worked so slowly... Finally, I was able to chisel the key into place. I wrenched at the lock till the ice popped, and my door sang open with a crack that sent fine snow drifting from the ceiling. I locked the door from the inside and peeled away insipid Lucy's black dress and hurried into the many layers of Lady Franklin's gown. The wig that I had so often cursed for its insulating volume felt like a security blanket— Warm and protective. It was harder to move in the large dress, and the fabric swished in a way that stirred my anxiety. But the trembling in my limbs slowed, and my thoughts cleared, as if the cold had numbed even my brain. I listened at the door, hearing only the whisper of my own breath against the cold wood panel. The frozen door chimed open as if it were made of glass. The corridor stretched empty in either direction. Lights flickering and failing in the cold. I rushed as fast as a big dress would allow. The rustle of fabric like the sound of shuffling papers. No. There was a shuffling of paper. The library. The stanchions lay in a warped tangle in the hallway. I slowed as if my feet caught in sheets of ice, and I froze in front of the library doorway. A man stood there, tossing through maps, a slender bone held like a pipe between his teeth. His acrylic beard ran red. Sir John Franklin turned to me, his motions a stutter of frozen biometronics. The bone fell from his mouth. I shook within and froze without, exhaustion and terror rooting my limbs. Sir Franklin's hand jerked up and clutched it where his heart would be, were he human. My love, I am lost, he said. A script from his diary. It's only a recording. My love. He took a broken step toward me. Terror melted whatever had frozen me in place, and I backed away against the corridor wall. My satin skirts brushed the paneling, and I remembered then who I was, Lady Jane Franklin. Sir Franklin's arms stretched toward me, and before I could bolt, he stumbled forward, pinning me to the wall between his hands. The synthetic skin of his knuckles was creased with dried blood, and the plastic fibers of his beard were clotted with it. We're so hungry, my love. So cold. I pushed ineffectively at one of his wrists as he leaned in and pressed his cold silicone lips to my forehead. The blood in his beard, still warm, pained my face. I could not draw enough breath to retch. There is nothing to eat, he whispered against my forehead, his enamel teeth brushing against my skin. It's the only way. The heat of adrenaline filled my body. No one knew how many men from Erebus and Terror were eaten by their crewmates in the end. No one knew what degree of madness drove them there, or resulted afterwards. But he would eat his own wife? My chin trembled. But I spoke, lips grazing the tacky, wet hair that shrouded me like a veil. I will find you. We'll send ships. Stay where you are. I am coming. Stay where you are. The bot pulled away, His hollow eyes searched mine. Then he turned back to the library, back to the books and maps. He picked up a chart and tore it in two. We are lost. I let out my breath in a staccato of clouds that fogged my vision, and I felt the tunnel of unconsciousness closing in on me. I focused my gaze on the floor, "'trying to will my legs to hold me up, to take me away. "'The bone that had fallen from Franklin's mouth "'lay in a bloody scrap mound beneath the table. "'I couldn't tell who it had been. "'I did not, could not, care anymore. "'Shame gave me strength, and I ran. "'I clutched the boat key like a rosary "'as I ran down the hall toward the visitor center.' The dome above the visitor center glowed with blue cold, snow whipping against the glass. I paused, confused, wondering if I'd somehow hit the glass illusion controls when I'd fallen against the counter earlier. Lack of sunlight turned the room eerie. A creeping frost animated from the cairn. Something jarred the stones inside, sending more rock tumbling. I slowed. "'trying to remain silent on the sandy floor. "'My eyes locked on the dark hollow behind the counter. "'I backed toward the main door. "'The heel of my shoe stuck to the clumped sand "'where Crozier had stood with the bleeding torso of Mrs. Heathrow, "'and it made a wet sound as I pulled away. The tumbling of stones silenced. "'Crozier stood up from behind the counter.' His whole costume soaked red. The leg from the injured sailor's exhibit slung over his shoulder like a club. His glass eyes reflected the cold light in a way that made them seem all too sentient. He lunged forward, forgetting the expanse of desk between us, and sprawled across the countertop. His hands raked at the surface as he tried to pull himself over his touch activating and cancelling every command in the building. The calm system came alive and broadcast his low groan through the halls, a predator snarl that set my brain alight with the instinct to flee. I burst out of the door into the arctic air and cold stung my face, constricting my blood vessels in a sensation of squeezing pain. The breathless chill left my raw throat ragged. Cold. It was as if the animated blizzard had burst its bounds and filled the whole island with its rage. The lane to the dock had never seemed so long. And though the summer sun still hung in the sky behind its snow veil, I knew it must be nearing night. The weight in my limbs... The heaviness of my eyelids all signaled sleep. Sleep. It sounded wonderful. It sounded warm. I forced my feet forward over the path down to the dock. The ferry bobbed in the berth, and two dozen bright red faces turned to me as I raced toward them, wide skirt billowing in the sudden, rigid wind. The past perfects were there, huddled in the dockhouse, their cold faces turning to me for answers, panic written in their expressions. Get aboard! I shouted as soon as I was close enough to be heard. Something in my alarm stirred them, or perhaps it was my face painted red with the blood from Franklin's beard, and they all rushed the ferry. "'stampeding up the gangplank just as I reached the dock. "'I pulled the moorings free and followed aboard, "'my feet slipping on the icy slope of the deck "'as I made my way to the bridge. "'I closed myself inside, stopping the worst of the wind, "'though it still whistled around the thick glass windows. "'Too much snow stirred in the air "'for me to see if anything had followed me down the path.' A glance behind me showed the guest had huddled together in the center of the passenger cabin, their red faces and blue lips flashing like alarm beacons. Coram's keys stuck to my hand in thick, dry blood, but I singled out the one for the boat and pushed it in place, bringing the vessel to life. The sound of the warm engines roaring unlocked some of the tension in my chest and I laughed a sob over the controls. The buttons and levers were alien to me, but the basics were clear, and it was only a two-hour ride to the mainland. I'd radio for help once I'd put the sea between us and the island. I drew in a shaky breath as the boat pulled away from the dock and a strip of water spread between the hull and the shore. My eyes were held, locked on the shrinking stones of King William's Beach, so I didn't see the white line of freezing fog that had crept up on our starboard side. Fingers of frost spread across the windows, and as I finally turned to crane my sights toward the mainland, I saw the water moving high and slow in waves thickened with cold. The heavy water dashed against the ferry, The boat tipped and righted itself just as another wave came and broke across its bow. Screams sounded from the passenger cabin. I wrenched at the controls, turning the vessel into the surf as I'd seen Coram do on stormy days, though he'd never taken tourists out in bad weather. The waves came larger and heavier, slower. And where the water thinned by the shore... They stopped altogether in razor mountains, frozen like the grainy pictures framed in the resort halls. The relentless force of water pushed the frozen crust higher in jagged peaks that loomed around the ferry like a cage of monstrous teeth. The frozen expanse spread back from the shoreline into deep water enveloping the ferry. The hull screamed in the squeeze of unstoppable ice. There was nowhere left to steer. No open water in which to guide the boat. The bow lodged against a crest of ice, and the sound of straining metal echoed off the crystalline walls surrounding us. We were stuck fast in the spreading ice, which continued to buckle and rise all around us. The controls popped and darkened lights fading in the glow of sun-stricken blue. I rocked the throttle, trying to free the rudder, but it groaned one last time before shuddering into silence. I pushed the button for the radio, but not even static sounded on the dead line. My hand shook there, holding the button down, my stiff neck craned over the narrow microphone as my throat tightened. We... we are lost. I lowered my hands from the controls. Whales sounded from the cabin behind me. I turned to the window that overlooked the passengers. They lay sprawled together in the center of the room. Their bags and belongings tossed like so much debris among the seats. I unlocked the bridge door with a trembling hand and stood on the narrow stairway that led into the cabin. We're stuck, I said. I'm sorry, I tried. There's nothing more I can do. Where did all of this come from? One of the women sobbed. Another clutched her close as they all stared out the windows at the frozen world that encased us. What do we do? Another asked. We wait, I said. Someone will come for us. Someone always comes. I will find you. We'll send ships. Stay where you are. I am coming. But when will they come? How soon? A small woman asked. Her face bled from where it had struck something in the turbulence. They better come soon, another said. I'm hungry. My gut clenched on the edge of the ice, between two peaks of frozen sea. A dark shape moved.
1: thank you very much for listening to episode number 1116 today's author was sarah reed with our dark tale the terror bay resort experience today's story was told by mary murphy i'm daniel Foytek, and i've been your host today If you'd like to find out more about my work, you can check out ninthstory.com, victoriaslift.com, or follow me on Twitter at dfoytech. Our Season 11 Lead Editor and Executive Producer was Scarlett R. Algy. Our Resident Composer and Executive Producer is Nico Veteze of We Talk of Dreams. Artwork for today's episode was created by Jeanette Andromeda, our Art Director and Executive Producer. Our Producer is Meg Williams. Our Showrunner and Producer is me, To find out more about all of today's contributors, please visit thewickedlibrary.com and check out their bio pages. If you'd like to help us in bringing you our collection of dark tales, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wickedlibrary. The Wicked Library is created by Ninth Story Studios, LLC. All rights reserved.